Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're picking up right where we left off because much like the Bundesliga, we only missed the one weekend, the Christmas weekend. With me this week in the new year of 2021 is Nick Wildhagen. How, how was how was your Christmas, Nick? It's great. It was great. I mean, uh, but one, one tiny thing that really unnerved me happened, I have to say. The other day during during the winter break, I was actually watching Thor, you know, the, the historical m- movie about my forefathers here in Norway. I mean, <laughs> right, right, I, right. I, I watched it for, you know, getting some idea of what was happening on, on the ground I'm basically trotting. And, uh, you know, when, when I saw Chris Hamthworth, I, I sort of like... Jesus Christ, that guy is my body. Well, and when I was looking down, I was befuddled. And certainly I just saw a blob where once there used to be muscles and abs. And, you know, I mean, some people might think it's all the chocolate and cheesecake I ate. But I'm, I'm, I'm certain that Chris has, Hemsworth has, in fact, stolen my body. <laughs> well, well, well. I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what part of uh, the Wildhagen life that body might have been uh, <laughs> representing. Because I don't think I've encountered you dur- during that particular era. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just say that was that's probably my fault. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I've been experiencing a fair bit of Thor lately as well. My wife has been playing uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla uh, ah, cool. quite a lot. So there's a lot of a lot of Norse myth and, and gods and stuff going on in the house. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, diving into Norwegian history is always worth it, isn't it? Of course. Of course. All right. Uh, this week on this Bundesliga program, although you might have forgotten that's what we talk about here, we'll be hearing about all the streaks that are, are yet to be snapped, the coaching comings and goings, and which traditional club is experiencing a good old-fashioned behind-the-scenes boardroom brawl. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was uh, match day 14. And and yes, of course, we are late off the mark this week. Our schedules more or less demanded it. Oh, well. We're going to be going a little bit lighter on the blow-by-blow from the weekend, but there's still lots and lots of storylines to mull over. Really, all in all, a pretty good weekend for most of the teams near the top of the table. Everybody held serve for the most part. We'll get to the one team who didn't uh, later in the pod. But I think we should probably start off talking about Bayern. Not only were they um, winners on the weekend, but they were winners in a very particular way. Uh, another comeback win for Bayern here. They, they, they fell behind. For the eighth straight game, this is a, a club record, of course. This time they didn't just go down one nil; they went down two nil. But then they found no fewer than five goals unanswered in the second half of the game against Mainz. So really, no problem at all. Nick, obviously, the knock on the Bundesliga over the last many seasons has been that um, you know Bayern are, are are just bossing the league; they're toying with the rest of the league. But is this like conceding early? Every week, some kind of game that that uh, Bayern München are playing. Are, is is this like uh, all part of the uh, a grand plan? <laughs> well, I don't know. What this sort of reminds me of is um, I once saw a female international handball match between Norway and Australia. Now, Australia are not really a great handballing nation, so the Norwegian national team decided, okay, we're not going to do any counter attacks. Which you know, if you know anything about handball, counter attacking is that's the half the goals. <laughs> basically, yes. So they were sort of like, yeah, we don't, we don't do those. You know, six. I mean, the Norwegian national team scored, I think, between fifty-five or sixty-five 
percent of the goals in that championship one <laughs> counter attacking goals. So yeah, it sort of reminds me of that. Every week they're falling behind, eight weeks in a row now. And um, actually, they've um, Bayern have so far this season taken eighteen points after falling behind, <laughs> which is insane. <laughs> We're only on match day fourteen, and they've taken eighteen points after falling behind. And I had just for you know for the fun of it, I had a look at you know which team took the most points after falling behind last season and that was actually RB Leipzig who fell behind 15 times last season and took a whopping 19 points so with 20 still matches still to come RB Leipzig are probably going to be beaten by with that point total from last season by maybe quite a margin especially if Bayern keep going this this way but um you got to give it to Mainz I mean they took the match to Bayern um I mean an hour into the match, they had 11 shots. Bayern had 12 shots. But from there on out, things sort of fell apart. and They, they ran out of juice and believe. And um, once that 2-2 goal went in, and it was a brilliant goal by uh, Leroy Zane, um, sweet shot struck low into the left corner. Yeah, you could just see that, yeah, this is only going to go one way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it was the kind of game that, that, you felt even at the time watching it, one nil, two nil, and of course, you know, might very easily could have gone up three nil early in the second half. As that dominance, at least on the scoreboard, and to a, to a somewhat lesser degree, you know, in terms of the run of play, you just never really felt safe <laughs> in their lead or their dominance, because when that second half Bayern showed up, the one that scored five goals unanswered, it really kind of felt like the lion was roaring, and and you knew it always you know, had it in him and not least, you know, not least that they were able to accomplish what they did because they have so many contributors. I mean, you know, Yozue Kimmich, who's not a big goal scorer, got that one by sort of sheer determination. You got, you know, as you already mentioned, Sané's goal was, was quite good. Uh, another unexpected goal scorer in, in Niklas Zula. And of course the double late from uh, Robert Lewandowski. We are now getting into really dangerous territory for uh, a, a very long-standing Bundesliga record. That's the 1971-72 season record by the man, Gerd Müller. There is, of course, uh, a Patreon Historic Match Day Moments episode all about some of his goal-scoring ep- exploits. I wouldn't be surprised if there were, were even another by the time the season finishes, or at least one where we mention goals by Gerd Müller because he scored so damn many of them. But yeah, he scored 40 goals back in that season, which is getting on how many years ago is that now? 39 years ago? 49 years ago? Mm, yeah, 49 yep. years ago. And, and Lewandowski's now he's on 19 goals in 13 games, which, you know... That is in play. We've talked about this in previous seasons, but this is this is still the fastest pace he's been on in, in his entire career. Yeah, he hasn't even featured in all 14 matches, which makes this even, even more incredible. I mean, Robert Lewandowski, his finishing this season is out of this world. We've talked about this before, as Bayern have sort of outdone the XG by quite some bit, but he has outdone his XG as well this season, which is incredible because... In all the season prior to this one, he actually should have scored more goals according to his XG. Now he's actually scoring more goals than he should have. And given what a complete play is all around, um, having him in this sort of form is absolutely terrifying for, for any defender. Um, and yeah, that, that record of 14 goals, it, it bar any sort of serious injury, 
I think he has a decent chance of, of getting there this season, especially if he keeps going on at this pace uh, for the next two, three, four weeks. Yeah, yeah. it was interesting. I, I forget who the comments were uh, coming out of the weekend. I, I, I think it might have been um, Hasan Salam Hamidzic um, talking about, you know, Robert Lewandowski and, and you know, his his chances to do something really special this season and his how important he is for Bayern. And, you know, the thing that he kept emphasizing was that this is a guy we just need to keep healthy. And, you know, I, I would completely agree. Not that not that I think that Bayern's gonna fall apart without him, but I think that a lot of you know, if you go one nil or even two nil down every week, you know, you're gonna need to score at least two goals to win. So losing your best goal scorer is probably the worst thing that can happen to this team. Uh, so they they really do need to make sure that he is healthy and happy. And and as you mentioned, they've they have rested him uh, on, on an occasion or two this season already. And I think that's probably a good plan. I mean, even if he is kind of getting to that point where you know he wants to sort of push on through to to, to break this record or something like that. I think that they do need to be um, careful with them in, in a season like this where the fixtures are really coming thick and fast. Yeah, and I mean, the start to the season has been been hard, but I mean, with the Champions League, the DFB Pokal, all those matches being jammed in, uh, the, the matches are even coming even thicker and faster now in the second half of the season. So yeah, absolutely. Quick thoughts a little bit on Mites. As you mentioned, they were very lively in the first half, especially. Um, and, and, you know, to my eye, they have not been as bad as a number of other teams, despite the poor record that they have put up. Just the eye test on them has not been quite as ugly as, as say, you know, Schalke or something like that. The big shakeup that we... Figured was on the cards uh, when we last spoke about Mites in December. It took place. Um, everybody, it's kind of a game of musical chairs. <laughs> a bunch of people who used to be at Mites came back to Mites, and everybody moved up one chair in the uh, in the managerial, uh, you know, sort of line of succession. I mean, former sporting director Christian Heidel is now back as uh, the CEO. Former coach Martin Schmidt is now returning as the sporting director, and former player Bo Svensson is now returning as coach. You know, it, it's always nice when you're a, a club that 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 you know has at least some winning tradition on on a certain type of level to sort of go back to basics, to go back to what you know works, to get the people in who you think are safe pairs of hands who know the club, who know the community. Is this a good move? Are things looking up for this team? Is it just a matter of of getting the players who we know? Know are, are, are better than than what they've been doing thus far to do that. Yeah, I mean, when you watch Mines, you sort of think, well, if they tweaked a thing or two, you could be going places. This is not a lost cause. I mean, when when you look at Chalk on the other hand side, you think, well, this is an entirely lost cause. So yeah, I, I think having Bo Svensson, who is um, the Bo Svensson, who is a former Danish international who's played seven years at Mines. And who was a youth coach at Mainz. So he's a coach educated at Mainz. And they usually have fared the best when they've had those coaches. And he has worked with a lot of young players at FC Liefering in Austria. FC Liefering, if you don't know them, they are sort of the farmer side of RB Salzburg. That is basically where RB Salzburg stations all their players when they want them to gather experience and, and get better in order to you know take the next step into the Austrian Bundesliga and out into European competitions and he's you know done marvelously well there with 1.86 points on average um, during the 50 or so much as he's been in charge there 
so it's it's going to be exciting to see what sort of coach he actually is because I haven't watched them in action. So um, I'm I'm sort of drawing a blank on what term, what type of football he's going to play with them. But um, it, it certainly on paper looks like a very very good appointment. All right, all right. I I'm I'm excited to see what kind of a coach this guy turns out to be. I mean, I, I'm certainly not expecting fireworks. This is you know this is mites after all. But I I would I would be pleased to see them stick around for another year. It's a it's a it's an appealing club. I mean, it's a young coach uh, and who's hired a, a former defender or defensive player who was really solid, but not really that, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> how, how to put this in the nicest way possible. Um, maybe maybe not, um, not the most gifted footballer. Not a flair but, you know, player. Solid. I mean, Mines have had defensive minded, former defensive minded players who used to be, you know, Workmanlike and not really brilliant technically coached their sides before that that has worked out for them. Yeah, there was there was a guy he used to be he used to go on CDF to talk about tactics. This was back in like the two thousand six World Cup. Yeah, this yeah, kind of floppy I, I, hair I and glasses. I, I, yeah, I think he's driving around somewhere in England in, in his Opel right now. Who who can say what he's doing? <laughs> he he made a he made an Austrian cry uh, the other day. You know, so I I I don't know. I, that's all I all I really know about it. Let's talk about the other big game in terms of uh, you know sort of title chase implications. Um, that was RB Leipzig's one nil win in Stuttgart. You know uh, the the, the Falmouth Bay goalkeeper Gregor Kobel was really really close to keeping a clean sheet in this game. He did just about everything he could to uh, to get a draw for his team, despite Leipzig racking up enough chances for a robust 3xG in this one. But you know what they say about close, uh, you know, horseshoes, hand grenades, etc. Um, three points for the Rasenball Sportlers. That keeps them within two points of the defending champs, Bayern, up at the top. We, of course, have talked tons about Stuttgart this season already, about how surprising they've been, what a fun side they are to watch in terms of, you know, creating a whole lot of chances, uh, taking advantage of, of their speed on the wings. Not really a lot of that happened this this week against Leipzig. I don't know, for my money, at least that that made me a little bit impressed with, with Leipzig for, for keeping Stuttgart kind of at bay. Yeah, absolutely. And um, given the fact that they actually um, didn't get the goal bef- before fairly late into to the match, and I think it was in the 66th minute, it meant that they created chance after chance after chance without getting rewarded. And they just kept grinding out those chances. And in the end, uh, Danny Olmo scored from very close range. Another assist by Angelino, who's having a hell of a season. We've highlighted him before. So, yeah, absolutely impressive performance. And, and you know, given that Gregor Kobel was having a stellar day in the goal for VfB Stuttgart, it's, um, it's great to see from Leipzig's perspective that they didn't get frustrated and that they had that sort of self-belief that allowed them to just you know keep on going and keep those chances coming and keep believing that the goal eventually would come. Yeah, let's turn our attention just for a moment now. Ah, the juicy stuff of the week. Yeah, the, the juicy stuff. This is, uh, you know, Stuttgart, as as many of you will know, but a few of you might not. I mean, this is a very big club with a lot of stakeholders. Um, it's a club that has had uh, a history of boardroom intrigue, let's just say. And in fact, this episode of boardroom intrigue kind of relates in a tangential way to one of the previous episodes, <laughs> which we may well get into. Anyway, they've got some off-the-pitch issues right now, which have been stealing the headlines. Do you, do you care to you sort of lay it out a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, well, the thing is that um, Thomas Hitzelsberger, the 
man who is uh, actually the head of the LLC, the Libel Limited Company, uh, which runs the professional side of things at uh, Stuttgart. He wrote an open letter to the fans uh, saying that he had lost all confidence and trust in the president, Klaus Vogt. Now, the way Stuttgart is structured is that you have a LLC, which basically is running the professional side of things, and then you have a club that has a majority stake in that company. An, an EV, an Eingetragener Verein, yeah. Yes, uh, basically an EV could also be a bunny breeders club. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, they're sort of regulated by the same laws in Germany, but so the EV has the sort of the majority stake in the LLC. So what Hitzelsberger then went on to do after saying that he has lost all trust and confidence in the president is that said that well you know what i gotta put myself up as a candidate for president during the next members meeting which in turn would then mean that he would be having both the llc and the afl what he additionally said is that okay as you know showing that i'm, I'm a serious guy i don't want to you know grab too much power and, and have be too all powerful i'm not going to sit on the board because traditionally in Stuttgart, the president is also heading the board of the club, the EFL, which owns the majority in the LLC. So this is all very technical and uh, boring legal stuff. But um, it's important in the sense that for the fans at Stuttgart, they feel like the president of the club is also sort of a representative that also takes their issues to the board and to the board meetings and Represents to the board and and to to the LLC people if those if their interests are actually not in the you know the same as the LLC's interests, so they would feel like that Hitzelsberger probably is going to install a friendly face on the board, which meaning that you know that step he's sort of trying to um, or the way he might make it out make it out to seem might not be the way it actually is. Yeah, and there's a, there's a whole lot of weird stuff here, which has to do with, as you you mentioned, sort of German, um, you know, club governance and uh, corporate governance uh, structures. And you know, if if you want to be the president, and the president is the person who the the fans, the members, actually get to vote for, whereas the LLC is basically run like any other business, like a company, where where you know fans don't necessarily have direct influence. It's more that they have indirect influence through the president, uh, etc. So if Hitzelsberger was trying to be both of those things at the same time, it would be essentially a, a conflict of interest, or a sort of it would be perceived as him having too much power. Yeah, I mean, Kicker had a comment. Uh, I think it was George Mosidis, uh, who was on this podcast only a few weeks ago, uh, who wrote in a comment that this move is unprecedented within German football history because having such an all-powerful figure at one club is never—it's never been done before. So, whilst most fans have been sympathetic to Hitzelsberger and the job he's been doing at the club over the years. Many of them feel now that he might be overreaching ever so slightly. Yeah, and, and one of the weird things here is, at least my understanding of this situation, which is pretty complicated, is that part of the reason why he feels that, that he can't trust the, the, the president and, and the, the folks in, in, in charge at, of, the, of the AFL is that they used a database of, of you know members, like addresses, email addresses, a few years ago, when they actually spun off the professional uh, 
section of the club, the LLC. They campaigned to get members of the AFAL to vote for that. They sort of gave their email addresses and addresses and personal information to a sort of a marketing group who was was putting out information, trying to push them toward voting for this thing, which, you know, just from a sort of data protection and privacy perspective, I get it. I think that that was an unethical thing for them to have done. And this subsequent investigation that's been, been going on at the club about this affair, it's it's quite possible since it's being run by the club and not an outside entity that it's not really. It's a bit of a sham investigation, as he might have, have implied. Well, the thing is... Um Hitzelsberger actually wanted the inside investigation, whilst Klaus Vogt, the president, wanted to hire outside counsel to look at that. <laughs> um, well, then I had the wrong end of the stick. So, yeah. Um, so, Hitzelsberger wants the inside job, whilst uh, Vogt wanted the outside job. And what Hitzelsberger wrote in his letter is that Vogt went out and about and hired a company without consulting with anybody, uh, which uh, upset Hitzelsberger to... Um, but, I mean, every, everybody when questioned in the press seems to be in agreement about that this was a bad thing to do that this shouldn't have happened um but hey if you hire people like dominic cummings uh, that's what you get yeah all right i you know obviously not being a a stuttgart fan or uh somebody who sort of has any involvement with the club i'm 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 looking at this at a distance, what I am concerned about is just purely from a, a, a football fan uh, perspective that, you know, Stuttgart, <laughs> Stuttgart is a big club who are finally getting things right on the pitch in terms of, you know, what hiring what appears to be a, a, quite a good young coach, um, you know, bringing in a, quite a lot of good young players, um, getting a smart guy like Sven Mislintat in charge of, of recruitment. But it is so Stuttgart to ruin things when they are going well. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I, I just don't want to see all that derailed by, you know, a bunch of nonsense that has nothing to do with football yeah but i mean it just shows that um if, if you don't have uh if you don't have a group of people who get on well enough together to work together in in this sort of environment that it can be counterproductive for the entire club and eventually i mean this is only one match so we don't and it was a match against one of the best teams in germany so we don't have to read too much into that but eventually when there's that much unrest at a club those things might spill over onto the pitch Oh, for sure. For sure. Especially, I mean, there's still some time because I think there's something like, uh, I don't think they're going to sort out who's on the ballot for the presidency until later this month. I don't think the actual election is happening till March. So, you know, there, there, there's a lot more chapters to be sort of, um, you know, written or read. Um, but if it comes to a point where it looks like, you know, either Hitzelsberger or Mislintat or anybody on the sporting side's um, jobs are in some jeopardy, then yeah, that, there's no reason why it wouldn't spill over that, 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 you know, players might be thinking about what the future of the club might hold if, if things are, are going belly up. Yeah. And, you know, loyalty is, um, is a funny thing within football because some people have loyalty in abundance. I don't know what Sven Mislintat stands on that, but, you know, <laughs> If, you know, the entire sort of sporting leadership is behind Hitzelsberger and Hitzelsberger is forced out of the club, that actually might mean that some other heads are going to roll and, um, you know, that in turn could have massive blowback uh, in the long yeah. run as well. Yeah. Well, I'm crossing my fingers that uh, something something gets sorted out here. 
All right, let's talk now about the team in the top four who did not have such a good uh, weekend. That was Leverkusen. Big miss in Frankfurt. They got leapfrogged by Leipzig uh, after after losing uh, uh, away to Eintracht. Second loss in as many games for them after, of course, going unbeaten in their first 12 games of the season. Uh, Peter Bosch, he was pretty pretty definitive after the game. Um, he said his team is not ready to challenge for the title. Nick, is he is he trying to pull some motivational levers with uh, things like that, or do you think he really is on to something? I well, I think or a bit that, of both. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit of both, but I think he's also trying to be realistic here because when you see Bayern and the way they've been steamrolling the over oppositions despite falling behind week in and week out, um, and when you see the sort of side that Leverkusen have at hand, you'd be, you know, at the start of the season, you would you would have said they'd be delighted to finish in a Champions League spot. And they've put themselves in a, into a brilliant position of doing just that. And to expect them to win the championship, we never did that in a million years at the start of the season, did we? Going by how the team looked and, um, you know, getting some realism into the debate and saying, well, look, this is a special season and uh, things might turn out slightly differently because, you know, you know, of the way the schedule is and all that. But realistically speaking, we shouldn't be a top contender for the title. Is um, You know, it's, it's an honest thing to say, I would say. Yeah, I reckon that he's probably speaking in fairly uh, honest terms. I mean, I definitely think that it is a bit of a pinprick for, for his players because he knows that they are capable of more. Um, but I, I also do think that... Um, you know, cooling off any even small-time talk about uh, winning the title is probably a good thing for a coach in his position. I really thought this was a good win from from a Frankfurt perspective. I have had a lot of faith in this team in terms of, of what they are capable of. You know, a little less faith in terms of uh, them not, not giving up stupid goals at times. But I think that they are actually poised to have a, a, good, a good January. Um, they've got Mites away next, then uh, uh, Schalke at home, Freiburg away, Bielefeld away. Also nestled into that uh, cluster of fixtures, they are uh, going to get another crack at Leverkusen, away at Leverkusen in, in the day of people call. I think that this is a team who could, uh, you know, establish themselves a little bit more clearly as uh, a sort of outside contender for Europe. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they haven't been defeated since since match day 11 now, uh, when they lost to, to Wolfsburg before then. They they weren't defeated before they lost to Bayern on match day 5. What basically has been the big issue that so far this season is all the draws they were getting. I mean, they've sort of turned themselves into draw specialists. And in many of those matches where they only ended up having a draw in the end, you know, they were actually the better side and they should have won those matches. And, you know, time and time again, we sat here and talked about, you know, these and these and those chances. And um, we talked about the fact, well, look, again, Freiburg, uh, Frankfurt are not, you know, doing justice to, you know, the XG they're having in those matches. And, you know, this time around, they actually performed better than Leverkusen, uh, created more chances, and they rewarded themselves, which is a, which is a good thing in, in such a big match. Um, now, the upcoming schedules, they look great for them. I mean, they don't face any sort of serious opposition in the Bundesliga before, I'd say, match day 22 when they play against Bayern. For that, they you know, have Hoffenheim out of form, Köln out of form, Hertha a bit out of form, Aminia Bielefeld, all these matches. Yeah, they, they are all winnable matches. So, um, you know, 
Europe not that far away at, as things stand. So the next few weeks could be, you know, interesting because they could actually see Frankfurt getting into that race for the Europa League spots. Yeah, yeah. I think it's actually going to be a really interesting next several weeks for them because the kind of expectations that they had going into this season after that dip last season when they you know were kind of regrouping after losing all three of their best uh, uh, attackers, that there was a degree of of you know understanding that they didn't quite live up to expectations last season. That, but this season, I think if they were to finish in eighth, ninth, tenth place, there would be probably a little bit of I don't know, uh, uh, second guessing as to whether they were really on the, the path that they wanted to be on. But if they have this, if they have the great January that I think that they might be capable of, um, um, it, it could change the narrative a little bit. Interestingly, and maybe we'll get to this, uh, you know, the other side of this later, they, after that run of fixtures that I mentioned, they are playing another team who has a very forgiving set of fixtures in, in January, which is Hertha. Uh, so that, that the last, uh, Set of games in January. This is, I think, the 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 twenty ninth. Well, that game that match day has not yet been scheduled, but it'll be the last uh, match day in January. That's uh, you know. I mean, there, there is one fun stat I can imagine mention about this run of fixtures. Actually, Frankfurt haven't won against Mainz in thirty four years. <laughs> Away to Mainz, you mean? Oh yeah, yeah. There's definitely a great chance of doing something about that now. Yes, yes. Um, but you know, new coach bounce, or, or you know. <laughs> Who knows what minds are going to put out onto the pitch uh, this week, uh, especially given that Bo Sanson will have had an entire week to work with this team. But yeah, definitely, uh, definitely an exciting match. Spectacular. Okay, let's round out the top four with uh, Dortmund. They, they're actually now back in the top four uh, with their nervy win over Wolfsburg. The game was on a knife edge uh, until... Manuel Kanji's 66th minute header put them in front. A bit of a renaissance from Jaden Sancho in this game. He set up that goal from Akanji. He scored one of his own in injury time. You know, that would be a big development uh, if, if you know, Jaden Sancho <laughs> went back to playing like Jaden Sancho and not just a, a sort of somewhat above average attacking midfielder. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, that given that is only his first goal this season, I mean, by, you know, you felt like he was on di- double, double digits at this point last season. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, I think some of the criticism of Jaden Sancho has been too harsh because he is actually the player who has created the most shooting opportunities for all of his teammates in that side. And, um, you know, and given that Dortmund have not only relied on his goals, but also his assists, I mean, that in itself means that he's actually... He's actually done the job for Holland and all the other guys up front so far this season. And, you know, being at six assists, yes, it's not the sky-high numbers we were seeing from him last season, but it's still decent. But yeah, absolutely. I think with a bit of luck and with a bit of better finishing from both him and his teammates, you might see some some more familiar numbers coming up soon. Yeah, yeah. I th- I, th- I reckon if uh, Jaden Sancho gets back into gear, which is to say scoring gear, I mean, he did already have five assists going into this game. Now he has six. I think things will will be looking up for Dortmund. Here comes part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about, uh, you know, the rest of the match day just gone. This is match day 14. Uh, Let's start off with the team who is just outside the top four. Shockingly enough, FC 
Union. Berlin. They're, they're knocking on the door of the UEFA Champions League, Nick. Um, this is, of course, after they took down uh, the mighty Werder Bremen in Bremen. Um, it was the Taiwo Awani and Geraldo Becker show at the Basel Stadion uh, as the Irons scored on two quick strike movements capped off by each of those two strikers in the first half. Nick, Union didn't look like a team shorn of its best attacking player in this game. What, what did you make of this uh, taiwo Geraldo partnership? Well, what I made of Union's performance and, and that partnership in particular as I was watching the match is that Union were actually really brutal at exploiting the mistakes Verde were making at the back because both goals were result, direct results of defensive errors made by, by Verde's defense. So that in itself is promising. I mean, Union Berlin, they sat back, absorbed pressure, um, uh, didn't really allow Verde to create anything of note throughout the entire 90 minutes. So it's it's a good match for them in, in sort of defense in when it comes to the defending perspective. And up front, they were just ruthless, brutal, um, never never allowing you know never never letting those chances slip past them. And um, yeah, that's that's the way how that's the way of uh, how a side can actually stay at the top of the table. I was not tuned into this game, but I understand from the the XG boffins that that this game, you know, on those terms, was not particularly. Um, the two teams were not very far apart. I mean, most of these, uh, you know, numbers had Bremen at around one expected goal, and Union anywhere between zero point eight and one point two, which would suggest that the game might have seemed close. Um, <laughs> tell me why it wasn't. Nick? Um, well, the first half, basically, because Verde made two defensive errors, uh, didn't create anything at all. So they went into the dressing room being 2-0 behind, not having created anything at all. And But they started to create sort of chances. And when Kofel decided, okay, I take off Ozako and I sort of introduce a sort of more physical style of game, bringing on the likes of Mbom and Zelke, um, Things were already too late, and you know those half chances that which amounted to that, you know, roughly around one in XG. They didn't cut it at all in the end. So yeah, I mean Union didn't have any trouble whatsoever defending that that two 0 lead. It was never in danger, and um, and you had the feeling with 10, 20 minutes remaining that even if Verdict gets a goal back here, you don't see a way back into the match for them. If, you know, as, as long as Union would have kept a cool head and, and you know, as, as they've been playing over the last few weeks, you, you would assume they would have. So, uh, Verde find themselves now uh, in 14th place, uh, four points above Bielefeld uh, in, in the relegation playoff spot, which is, of course, where, where Bremen ended up last year. How much trouble are your boys in? It's, it's a tense situation, uh, but as long as there's some daylight between them and the bottom two and there is right now still eight points and you sort of think that Bielefeld having watched them you think they are probably not going to be able to gather more points than Verde in the long run which you know might be hopeful thinking on my part but that's at least where I stand I I think that Verde Bremen can just survive by the skin of their teeth this season but it's going to be a stressful season and, and you know 
going by how I'm sort of approaching middle age at, at, a, at a rapid pace right now. Some heart medication by my GP might, might be in order very, very soon. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. I've actually gone off the heart medication after this weekend because, Herto, we're back to their winning ways. Uh, well, <laughs> No nitroglycerin needed for <laughs> right. you. Right. Uh, well, and and, and I, I think I probably exaggerated just with saying their winning ways because uh, winning has not been their strong suit for the most part this season. Did Bruno change his, his jacket? Tell us, tell us. No way, man. No, he, he wore the same beautiful, beautiful camel-colored wool, you know, dress, uh, top coat. Loved it. Three nil winners. Well, this man is class, pure he class. Is, he is. It's you know, it, it starts with the hair. It goes down to the overcoat, the shoes. It's just, it's all put together. Um, three nil winners in the Olympia Stadion versus uh, Schalke 04. Schalke, of course, uh, with their new coach, uh, Christian Gross, who you know only had a few sessions with the first team to sort of uh, you know impart his overarching philosophy, whatever that might be. It did not look like a, a terribly changed uh, Schalke in terms of performance. They did have a very nice opening 20 minutes or so, and, and certainly could have gone gone in front. But uh, you know, as is usually there. Their, their want um, after they went down a goal, things things kind of kind of went south for them. And Hertha added two more goals in the second half. Not a terribly close game, at least um, uh, after the the two nil goal from from uh, John Cordoba went in. Any thoughts about the seemingly intractable problems at Schalke? I know that that you know. When we heard about the rumors that uh, you know Christian Gross was one of the coaches they were considering, we kind of poo-pooed it, or at least thought, "What are they thinking?" You know, I don't know enough about what's going on there. You know, the last couple of weeks to know if that's a terrible choice or not. But I'm not convinced. I, I tell I tell you what they're thinking, uh, and I for, I'd forgotten that uh, the last time we recorded. Jochen Schneider actually was the man who got Christian Gross to sign up for mm-hmm. VfB Stuttgart back in the day. Yep. And given that he had some good experience, you know, having Christian Gross rescue team and then lead it into European competition, he thought, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's 12 years on. Same again, please. Why not try it again? You know, Christian Gross still looks a bit like, you know, that Austin Powers character. But, <laughs> He's exactly you know. Dr. Evil. Did he ask for one million dollars to join Schalke? <laughs> Probably, but yeah, I, I, that's so. That's the thinking that went into that process because they were also considering Alexander Zorniger, and we were sort of like, why were they considering? Bring it on, dude! Two such different coaches. But you know what? I, I, you know, it's it's one match. It's far too early to say. But um, yeah, so far it doesn't it doesn't seem like a big change. I mean, the biggest change was that Ralph Fairman was back in goal. Because, you know, at first he started the season, then Schalke got uh, Manuel Renault from uh, Frankfurt, uh, who then was promoted to first-choice goalkeeper by Manuel Baum. Now, uh, Christian Gross went into um, his first press conference saying, well, you know what, Fellman is probably my first-choice goalkeeper. I don't see any need of... um, I I didn't see any need for that transfer that Schalke did, you know, being bent all out of shape, trying to find a goalkeeper during the summer transfer window we actually have more pressing issues within the squad and given that Mark Oud went out of his way um, stating in his post-match interview that Schalke desperately needs reinforcements I think that tells you all when the players themselves tell the press you know what we actually need somebody strengthening our team it tells you 
how big the struggle is at the moment. Yeah, well, they did bring back one Sead Kolasinac from Arsenal on loan. Certainly has a, a history with with that club and history with the fans as being something of a, you know, a, a, a bulldog type who, you know, runs his lungs out and fights hard. And that's that certainly goes a long way uh, to, to endear himself with, with a lot of the Schalke faithful. Not entirely clear whether that's going to cure their ills, but um, that, that could be a improvement. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I mean, what, whatever, whatever they're doing in the transfer window, uh, it needs to be right. They, they haven't gotten it right all season long. And um, additionally, they're also a club that is struggling financially. And there has been some talk about maybe Clems Turnis handling out the club, uh, which sort of would seem really odd given yeah. that when he left, the board and when he sort of was kicked out of the club or out of the board in a very unceremonious way after, you know, all of North Rhine-Westphalia conducted COVID after his uh, workers were kept in too close conditions during a, you know, global pandemic. It would seem, seem kind of strange inviting him back into the fold in, in that manner. Um, so right now it's, um, club needs reinforcements. There's no money on the book. The state of North Rhine-Westphalia has already extended a bank guarantee of what was it, forty million euros mm-hmm. to Schalke. Yeah, things 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 are looking bleak. Yeah, I, I think, and, and I've heard these rumors as well about Clemens Tunius uh, perhaps uh, coming back to the club. Uh, I, the Bild Zeitung is the one press, spreading this around, and of course, one of the the hallmarks of of Tunius's term at Schalke was that he. <laughs> talk to the build side to him constantly. <laughs> so I, I don't know how much we need to believe that. He is golfing bodies with uh, Alfred Draxler, who is, uh, is he the head, head writer for the sports pages of Built or the football pages of Built? Former sports editor, yeah. A man who um, always looks like he had just as, you know, released a terrible fart, <laughs> whatever situation you catch him in. Um, and with the mostly terrible views on just about everything when you question him um, well that's that, that then that's why he's got a, a, a good home at, at uh, the axel springer verlag <laughs> exactly um yeah he's he's great buddies with uh, clemens turnis who um you know um also counts vladimir putin as one of his great friends yeah well you know when you when you when you look at those uh, those pecs when he's you know out out fishing in the in the wilds of Siberia, it's it's pretty mesmerizing. Nick, he he likes a good Schweinehaxe from Tönnies meat packing factory. Clemens, still the build all the way. All right, um, okay. If you're listening to this podcast, uh, you you probably know that we have to set priorities on which games that we cover each week in depth. Uh, we, we we speak about the best, we speak about the rest, uh, and that often means that we zoom in on teams who are nearer to the top of the table or who are having epically bad seasons. Uh, and that also means that some clubs end up getting short shrift for weeks at a time on the show. Anyway, uh, we've come up with a, an elegant solution for this. Uh, we're launching a new feature this week, uh, Rescued from Oblivion with Reese Tigwell. Uh, he's a football writer for Marca. His work has also appeared in The Blizzard and elsewhere. And for this inaugural edition, we uh, told him to look in on Cologne and Augsburg who squared off on Saturday. Hey, Reese, good to have you on the podcast. How are you going to rescue this game 
for us on Talking Foosball. I, this is normally not the type of game we spend a lot of time talking about it. But but I, I'm willing to hear other theories. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Matt. Um, so I think whilst for the neutral, this is definitely an interesting game because whilst there wasn't a number of clear-cut chances and we had to wait until the 78th minute to see a goal in the game, uh, it wasn't a short of drama, particularly from the eyes of uh, Florian Niedlechner who had two uh, disallowed goals. And you sort of uh, feel a little bit sorry for the guy because last season, obviously, he managed to score 13 Bundesliga goals, but this campaign, he hasn't been able to to score a single goal. Oh, yeah, he was he was like the hero last year. He, he came out of the gates scoring, 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 ended up with, what, 13 or something like that last yeah. season? But he, he's doing nothing right now. Yeah, that's right. So, um, but I, don't, I mean, I'm sure he'll get there eventually, but... He's at least provided the assist in this game. So in the 78th minute, it was a well-worked team goal. Neil Lechner crossed the low cross cross goal. And um, Brazilian Iago was there, of all people, to, to tap in from close range. Yeah, right. I mean, watching that finish, it was it was very assured. It was not, a, not the hardest finish I ever saw, but he did not hesitate. Tell us a little bit more about Iago. I mean, he, Augsburg spent, for Augsburg anyway, a pretty penny on this guy. How was he coming along? Yeah, so they signed him uh, in 2019 from Brazilian club Internacional um, for around about 8 million, uh, I think the fee was. Uh, and this, surprisingly, this goal was actually only second goal in, in 20 games, um, which isn't too bad for, for a wing back. But I think Augsburg, traditionally a club that don't spend too much money on, on hefty fees on players, um, so this was definitely a, a punt for them. Yeah, I mean, when you see them spending $8 million on a young Brazilian, you think that the business model is going to be, let's keep him for two years and see if we can sell him for 20 Yeah. We'll see how that works out. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he sort of slipped under the radar, um, particularly last season. He's had injury problems as well. But hopefully this is the start, the start for him of a, a successful career in Germany. All right, so, you know, the, the Augsburg did hold on and, and won this game. 1-0. I guess it shouldn't be too surprising, uh, considering two things. One, that I, I think Cologne is winless in 12 against Augsburg, and uh, Cologne can't win at home at all. <laughs> yeah, and also I think another thing to this is that you didn't really expect this to be a high-scoring game because both of these sides are amongst the division's lowest scorers. But I think it's it's uh, definitely worrying for Cologne now because they haven't won a home game since the coronavirus, before the coronavirus hiatus, which was all the way back in February when they beat Schalke of all teams, <laughs> uh, which everybody seems to be able sure, to do sure. these days. Uh, I think, yeah, so it's, they beat them 3-0 um, and things, their away form hasn't been much better either, um, which is perhaps why they they're in the position that they find themselves in. Well, with a, a big... Exception at the Westfalen Stadion, which I think a lot of teams would love to get a result like that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They seem to have turned the corner before the, the Christmas break. Um, so that result that you mentioned there against Dortmund. And they also managed to get two um, significant draws against Wolfsburg and Leipzig as well. Um, but is that result is is against a team that I think they're the sort of games that you need to be winning or at least take some sort of points from because Augsburg themselves wasn't in the best form coming into this game. They had only won 
one of their last seven matches. Um, so I think that's definitely an opportunity miss for Gisdol's men. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned Gisdol right there. You know, I think we all know that Cologne have been pretty bad this season. They, you know, they're not quite down in the relegation uh, zone at the moment. They're they're shading it by one point. But this has been a disappointing season for them. I think that the hope was that they were going to be able to build a little bit on on something that. Uh, they were building toward with with Gisdol taking over sort of early last season, getting them to safety, um, bringing in a few new players, of course, losing a, a few players as well. But this season, is, it's felt like it, they just never have gotten started. Is, is he in any trouble right now? I think that they'll be definitely be nervously looking over their shoulder um, because they're now just one point above Armenia Bielefeld. Um, but I think, and relegation as well, another thing is that relegation at the best of times is is financially damaging for a club, uh, let alone in the midst of a global pandemic. So I think I think these futures definitely something being considered at the moment or definitely going to be called into question in the coming weeks. But I think that he'll definitely be in a few more games before they make that final decision. Um, because we've we've only played fourteen games so far. So there is still time. But I think it's about finding that balance between when is that right time to get rid of him because, or keep him? Because if it goes too far, then that's where the problems come in. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the the, the pandemic, you know, financial impacts. I mean, I would think that a team like Cologne would be hurt particularly in that they uh, they probably depend a lot on uh, gate revenue. They don't, you know, they're not getting into Europe or anything, and they sell out just about every game, and they have some of the most expensive tickets in the Bundesliga. So I, I think they're probably. Uh, not not really loving life right now uh, financially. Um, real quick, do they have money to, to sign anybody in this window? Are they going to sort of uh, make some moves? I, I, you think that the two moves, the, two, the easiest levers to throw are always buy some new players or fire the coach. And if you don't think they're going to do the, the, the latter, then maybe they can do the former. Yeah, I think, I think for those sort of middle and German clubs, then money – at the best of times, given that the financial structure of these clubs is, is difficult to come by, but particularly in the pandemic, as we've discussed, is makes things even more difficult. I, I don't think the funds would be there to be able to go out and, you know, splash the cash to bring in a, a lucrative sign-in. I think they'd have to sell to buy, just as they did in the summer. So I think we'd probably be more likely to see uh, a loan sign-in, say, from maybe a, a higher profile club if there's going to be any replacements. Well, that doesn't sound too promising, Reese. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for rescuing this uh, this fixture from our relegation bin, let's just say. you want to give a brief couple of words of introduction of yourself? Because um, I hope that you'll be uh, coming on Talking Foosball a couple of more times, uh, at the very least, for the, for the remainder of the season. Yeah, so at uh, the moment I'm doing some freelance stuff for Marker and Deutsche Welle as well. Um, so I'm a European sports writer specializing in German football. So I'm hoping to just continue to come in on the pod and, you know, just giving my words of, of information and just helping out in whatever way I can, really. Lovely. All right. Please yeah. take well. Thanks for coming on Talking Foosball. Thank you. All right. Very nice stuff from uh, from Reese Tigwell. There, we'll uh, hear from him uh, in future weeks about um, other allegedly low wattage games in the Bundesliga. Because you know somebody has to keep Nick and me 
honest. We're, we're, we're sometimes, uh, you know, not zooming in on certain games. And, and this is going to be a way to uh, keep, us, keep us from relegating certain teams and games uh, into the backseat too often. Let's talk about two more games. <laughs> now let's, let's just cram them in. Cram them into the last five minutes of the podcast. Armenia Bielefeld were 1-0 losers at home. They're, they're mired down toward the bottom of the table. That shouldn't be a surprise. But maybe it was a surprise in that uh, it took Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, quite a long time to get the goal that they needed to win this game. Uh, thoughts on this result, Nick? <laughs> Brian Lombolo really needs to work on his finishing is yeah, what I'm going to say because um, he, he scored with the, the seventh shot of the game. And is you know he had some brilliant chances before he scored that goal, and uh, he had the better of Armas Pieper uh, all match, and he just didn't convert it into goals before into the second half. And at that stage, Borussia Mönchengladbach should have been up by two, three goals. It feels like. I mean, especially especially that double chance where he hit the post and then then missed the rebound. Um, criminal, really. And we've talked about this before. Uh, and Bolo, his XG suggests that he should have had two or three more goals this season. And you know, this has sort of been Gladbach's problem in some of those matches that they don't have necessarily the striker they can go to who guarantees them 15, 20 goals a season. And uh, you know, given that last Schindler is their their best goal scorer so far this season, we are so far being proven right. Sure. Let's finish things off with uh, Hoffenheim's loss uh, at home to uh, SC Freiburg. That was a 3-1 win for, uh, for, for Freiburg. You know, it, I hear that um, old Sebastian Hoeneß might be on some thin ice uh, at Hoffenheim. I mean, Hoffenheim have Schalke uh, coming up next in, in uh, you know, week 15. Any thoughts about whether that is um, a sort of legitimate worry obviously there, there, there's probably a bit better um quality in this squad than what their current uh their current address in the table which is what 15th place something like that well, uh, just a point Where above Werder Bremen in uh 13th they're 13th 13th place yeah 15 points 13th place yeah i I mean, Hoffenheim, I think it would be a bit harsh on Sebastian Hoeneß, given that the team have played decent football at times. Additionally, they've been really unfortunate with... They whipped Bayern. Yeah, and and additionally, they've been really unfortunate with having a lot of COVID cases within that squad. I mean, they've had a lot of players out, and um, they've um, played in Europe as well, which has... You know, has been strenuous. Uh, it's a young squad as well, which means that you do see certain variations and performances, and that is not necessarily always down to the manager. Uh, having said that, um, this match was really um, won by Freiburg in the first half, which was uh, absolutely shocking display by Hoffenheim. Freiburg getting three easy goals, and well, from Freiburg perspective, that that is the fourth win on four win four wins on the bounce now. Which they haven't done since the 94 95 season. Back then, they actually finished third. I don't think they're going to finish as high as that this season. But having said that, um, given that SCF are now undefeated in eight matches, they've certainly turned the corner from looking like a side that would fight against relegation all season long to a side that might have even outside chances of qualifying for Rio. But, you know, even but if Christian Schreich was listening in on that, he would have none of that. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. They do have uh, Cologne next week. That's uh, certainly a winnable game. Um, Hoffenheim, as I mentioned, they, they play Schalke. That's, you know, has the, the, the added intrigue of being, you know, Schalke's chance to uh, equal 
Tasmania Berlin's uh, legendary mark of uh, 31 games without a win. Uh, having, having, uh, I have to make one small point about that record, though. Are we going to talk about the, uh, the, the, the single season versus two seasons yeah. thing? Come on. Come on. Yeah. When, you know, that's, because, that's only because Tasmania got relegated <laughs> and they didn't have a chance to extend the, the record. Yeah, it was true, but... Um... Well, I mean, the, one of one of one of the one of their matches that the second match they won in in the Bundesliga during their stay there was actually on match day thirty three against the fellow relegated side Borussia Neunkirchen. But um, no, I mean, it's it's sort of doing this in one season, thirty one matches in one season without a win. Um, that is probably never going to be replicated. Hey, Schalke, they could still do it. <laughs> yes. 14 if, and I counting. Mean, if, if they were to do that <laughs> and additionally have those 16 matches without a win from the season prior to that, um, yeah, that would be quite an accomplishment. <laughs> you know what? Um, I think Hoffenheim are probably looking at that Schalke match and thinking that this, this one could be a winnable match for us. Okay, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. You know, good good to see you again, Nick. Good to see you, and, uh, you know, let's hope that we can travel and see each other in person, if not in 2021, in 2022, maybe? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm penciling it in for, for you know, 2023, 24. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, you can follow Nick... Uh, in virtual space, because, you know, following him in person is probably not safe right now. Uh, on Twitter, at uh, Nor Musings, uh, you can hear plenty more of him. Please on- don't follow me in person. <laughs> I'd be freaked out by having, like, a horde of Twitter followers behind me all the time. Exactly. Exactly. That probably would, you know, pose problems on public transit and so forth. Uh, if you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. You can also hit up us collectively, the podcast, at Talking Foosball. You know, please um, subscribe to us uh, on your pod uh, uh, listening platform of choice. Tell your friends about us. Leave us a review. It's a big help. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.